Fret Buzzers. Good morning. Welcome. How's everybody today? Doing all right, man. It's, it's early. Freaking raining. Yeah, and it's damn early. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. We all need the coffee. Today, I want to welcome uh, our one of our guests' hosts, someone that I go way, 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 way back to. Beginning, I believe, at our early studies at Humpty Dumpty Nursery College. <laughs> yeah. That far back. Right? <laughs> yeah. Migrating up to memories of, let's say, driving in Ford probes, listening to Randy Rhodes licks. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of rush. A lot of rush. Ozzy, a lot of rush. A lot, a lot of Ozzy. stabbing. Playing in numerous jazz ensembles and throwing Wendy's Frosties off of booming train cars. <laughs> I'm speaking of Candlebox's very own, my good friend, guitar extraordinaire, Brian Quinn. Hello. Thanks for coming hello. on the show, everybody. Thanks, Thanks for coming on, Brian. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, one of the things I wanted to get into today with you guys is like, you know, how you sort of look at this idea of motivation, drive, perseverance as success for musicianship, you know, and how you guys yeah. have done that, you know, uh, over the years, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I get asked about it pretty often. Uh, you know, really, it's just, it was never anything I felt I had to do. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things I just did because I, I loved it, I guess. it would, um, I think the hardest thing, especially with the music industry, I, I think is staying in it. You know what I mean? That's, that's the biggest thing to me was, uh, you know, just dealing with everything you got to deal with. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just being able to stay in it and, and, you know, keep getting up because there's, as you know, man, it's, it's, it's not a very forgiving industry. So, uh, yeah, staying in it and just, I don't know, I'm kind of on a, on that end of it as being a road dog. So, you know, I've just been traveling and doing all that since I was, I, I don't know anything else. You know what I mean? It was never like, oh man, uh, I want to have a mansion and, and sports cars and this and that. And it's like those days are long gone, man. But it's, I, I do love, I, I just loved it almost to a fault. I'd say it probably is the best way I could put it. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean like when we were kids, right. I mean, we, we had this, this thing and I know we all kind of shared it. It was like having this dream, you know, of just kind of being like this famous guitar player, rock star thing, you know? Yeah. And I mean, is that like, is there a point where it just like you start to realize that that doesn't even exist or does it exist anymore where we have, you know, or, or is there something where you have to realize that it's more about like the work, um, you know what I'm trying to say? And, yeah. Well, that, yeah. That end does. I actually, just, I read an article uh, with Zach Wild. It was just in the last couple of days. And he was like, you know, I have pictures of Jimmy Page on my wall and Randy Rhodes and this and that. And he was like, that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And it, it, it kind of, he didn't really explain it, but it explained a lot because I was the guy and you were the guy with, you know, with Randy Rhodes on the wall and Slash and Steve Vai and, you know, all those dudes. And that, like, that was like the motivation for it. It really wasn't, at least in my mind, it was never to, to get rich or anything like that, but definitely to get your, yourself out there and, um, you know, have people recognize and appreciate what you do. You know, it's every musician that says that, they're not looking for validation is full of shit. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> just doing what we do because, you know, you bear your soul. You, you do like if you're writing or playing or everything and you're getting out there and standing in front of a ton of people yeah. and just be, you're being judged. You know what I mean? So yep. it's, 
yep. you strive to be your best and then do your best at it. You know, yeah. that's, that's probably the toughest part of the whole, of the whole gig. The, the, the other stuff is all very manageable, but there's, um, yeah, just getting out, getting out there and doing it. And that's the hardest part of it is getting out there and doing it. That's where, you know, that, that kind of separates people. Just, to that. some extent, I think some of that though is <laughs> part of you as a personality. I like, for me, I know when I was a kid, yeah, I had all the posters and everything, but for a lot of people, it stops there. Like that whole, like getting yourself out there thing I think is either instilled in you as a person or not. I mean, for me, without the whole internet and all that kind of stuff, it was me going to all the local record stores and music stores and putting up, you know, the sheets of paper with the tags on the bottom. If you, you know, if interested in being in a band, call this number. And I did, I do that over and over. It didn't matter that I found somebody to play with. I just keep on doing that over and over with, because it was just this thing within me that, I wanted to play with people, man. Right. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about being in my bedroom and rocking out and looking at the posters. It was more like, yeah, let's get out there and push this thing. Yeah. And that's it too. I mean, that's, that's putting yourself out there. Yeah. You know, whether, whether, you know, and that's, you got to start somewhere. And that's the other thing I always think about too, you know, like Guns N' Roses and Zach and Ozzy and all those guys, like they all, had that similar drive they put themselves out there they you know did did their best and just they wanted to be there just be in rock and roll and 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 be out there doing it and and i think that that's really the the hardest part is just motivating getting yourself motivated enough to go out there and do that Mm -hmm. you know but yeah it is a drive for sure does it get tiring? I mean, you get to a point where it's like um, just that the energy levels it takes to kind of always get out there or is is that not even part of the equation um, yeah, I, I guess it is. Um, I mean, I get, t- I feel tired all the time, but I'm never tired of it. You mm-hmm. know, I don't, I don't mind being sleep deprived, but yeah, if you're asking, do I get tired of, of the actual life and, and being on the road and everything? Nah, I love it. At least today sitting here right now, there's, um, there's nothing that I don't love about it. I'm, I've been a road dog for a long time. And even if you feel that way at times, as soon as the lights go down and all of a sudden the crowd's there, that all goes away anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. we're standing back ready, ready to walk on stage. Uh, I think maybe in Tulsa, it wasn't long ago. It was like a, a run or two ago. And when the lights go down and they start our intro music and you hear the, the whole crowd just go nuts, I turn to our other guitar player. I was like, that is one of my favorite sounds in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and it really is because that's you the butter, your stomach drops. It's like you're on a roller coaster and then you're just going to, you know, go out there. I got to settle myself down before I get into it. <laughs> yeah, that would, you, you wouldn't want to see me in a situation like that. <laughs> I was sitting there. <laughs> he's laughing because he knows what he knows what I'm talking about. Curled up in a fetal position. <laughs> I got to do what? I got to do what? I got to play, you know? What is this thing? I can't do this. I can't do it. Seriously, though, I'll tell you, one of the things that you guys uh, mentioned is like that, you know, when we were kids and playing and practicing, we had like, you know, there was a period I think we all went through where we were in the training mode for performance, right? So we were literally playing, as we discussed in past episodes, hours and hours and hours, you know, getting us ready for that thing. Yeah. Um, for me, that was very dangerous, and I'll tell you why. I think a lot of reflecting back and thinking about like you guys who, you know, you know your, your, your workhorses and you get out there and you network and stuff. For me, the practice part for me became dangerous 
uh, there's a negative consequence to it. And then I got so into my head and so into the inners of music and theory and technique and things that yeah. when it was time for me to, you know, say, all right, now I actually have to like put the guitar down and get into the business side of things. I, I, I didn't have the skill set. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, looking back on things, one of the reasons why performance wise I chose not to go that path or, or was just never successful is because, you know, I, that, that was something I didn't build up. And it seems like there's a certain balance you need to maintain. Right? You just can't, you know, advice of that. You can't just stay in your room locked away for hours and, you know, there's a certain point you got to get out, of, uh, get out of there and actually yeah. get on stage and start yeah. playing. Or, yeah, you know, I guess, the, yeah, you do have to find a balance. I mean, moderation with everything, right? Yeah. Because, uh, and, but you were you, back in, shit, man, that had to be sixth grade, right? Yes. Sixth, seventh grade. I mean, you were, you were putting in hours like that constantly. Now, for me, it was a, a little bit later. Like, it was more, I guess, I, I had already done some, some road stuff with like burial ground and like those early oh, yeah. hardcore bands that I had, but I wasn't, uh, yeah, it was like, it was later on, man. It was probably even well into college that I just sat and buckled down. and was like, I, I need to, I want to learn how to play this thing. Yeah, like, yeah. And I was, you know, taking classical, I went in for classical guitar for, for there, but there was just going into that, into the classical guitar major and, and just a music major, it, I realized how much I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like there was, uh, there was stuff I did know, but there was just so much that I, I just wasn't prepared for, you know? You're and, talking like when you went to Westchester, like this, that, yeah, that, that, yeah, that. yeah. Like, did, you know, the ear training and the voice classes and piano and all this other stuff. I was just completely blindsided by that. And that's what like, you always seem very level with that as far as putting that time in. But yeah, I, do, I, I understand what you're saying, but it's not, I don't think you made a bad choice. You know, it's just no. I, it's I just different. Well, here's, wow. a, here's a question, Tony. Did when was when when did you actually first join your first band? Oh, I don't know. Uh, but I actually <coughs> probably remembers this too. Well, well, our friend Tommy Winder, who mm. passed, um, he was. I think Brian, you probably could speak to this too. Tommy was probably very instrumental in getting all of us to play. Yeah, because yeah. oh, yeah. he was so good at such an early age. Yeah, you know, and seeing somebody like I remember working with Tommy, probably when I was like eight or nine or something. Because you started Brian, what like around eight ish is when you started guitar. Like that's when we all kind of came into it. Like yeah, right? yeah, I picked yeah. it up when I was like six, but I, I yeah, I didn't take yeah. lessons till I was so we, yeah, and we took lessons at the same place. I remember you know we were like yeah. studying with you know different teachers. So um, Aaron, I think I think it was probably I want to say twelve ish, thirteen. Okay, and then and, when did you actually start performing the same with same, the same time? Band? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in those days, performing was was kind of like a really relative term, right? I mean, right. It, we were just got out, and I remember one show I did with Tom Winder. We just played in the bottom of a church bazaar or in a, like in a church gig. Yeah, you know? and the reason we did is because we were trying to impress these girls that we went to school with. Of course, you know. So we're sitting down and we're playing Metallica, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's the irony. We're playing Metallica at the bottom of a church, you know, church play, <laughs> you know, at St. Rocco's church. I'm blasting one, you know, and, uh, and everybody, and people are in there and you get in the high. Um, that was probably the beginning of that. Um, but in terms of more serious playing, I right. don't know. Um, 17, 16, 17. Okay. 
Yeah. It was probably around there for me, about like 15, 16. We would, well, I was involved with that, with the hardcore circuit. So we, we would play like church basements and um, <laughs> we did the Edwardsville fire company and uh, like fire halls and stuff like anywhere that they would let us have a show that yeah. as long as there wasn't alcohol involved, you know? Yeah. So. See, that's what I was, that's what I was talking about the other week on the other episode is, is, you know, anytime that I find somebody who's actually made something of themselves at a young <laughs> age, no matter where the venue, you're willing to play it. It doesn't matter if it's the VFW or the Fire Hall or Boy Scouts or wherever it is. It's a matter of like, hey, there's a possibility for us to get in front of some people and get some yeah. experience. Let's let's do it. Well, it's not a job yet. That's the other thing too, you know. I think, I mean, and Brian, I don't know how you feel being, you know, so you're so in now with this. But uh, does it feel like there's a point where it changes over or becomes more job oriented? Because I know when we were kids, it didn't feel that way. Like we got in front of crowds because that's what musicians did. It's a performance art, you know. This yeah. is, you know, and when we go professional, it's like I don't know. I I think maybe I was kind of freaked out by that whole thing. That could be the other thing where I went more of like an academic route with teaching and stuff. But like, I think that, like I talked to Jeff Berlin about this and, and he says, um, you know, like people who have lasting power, you know, are guys who, you know, like you said, are the road dogs that they're not looking for the fame and the fortune. They're just playing out constantly. They're always working. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, that's it. And no, I'm not a, it, it is a job for sure. It, it, it definitely made a turnover, but I turned it into a job probably geez, uh, like maybe mid two thousands, like maybe after octane, like octane was a blast. I, I made a ton of money with those guys. It was great. And we just played regionally. I was home in my own bed every night, but then, uh, with, with foster child, we, we toured a lot and I found myself babysitting more than, you know, concentrating on, on the playing end of things. Uh, just with with the other guy, and I love them. It's I'm not. It's not a knock on them. It just was the reality of the of the situation. So uh, that's when when I dissolved that band, I really buckled down to just go out on my own and just do hired gun work. And yeah, and that was it. Just stay working. You know, even when I'm home off the road, I'm doing acoustic gigs around Philadelphia, and I I just want to stay working. So yeah, it did turn into a job. Then I will say this: the the party was done with when I did decide to make it a, a full-time job <laughs> because nobody, nobody wants to deal with, especially a hired gun situation. Nobody wants to deal with anybody that's a, a liability and, no. you know, drunk and, you know, I'm, you guys know what I'm talking about. So it's like yeah. the, the three things I always say, they're like, well, you work a lot. How do you get all these gigs? I was like, well, I'll tell you this. I'm always on time. I'm always sober and I'm always overprepared. Right. It's like if you do those three things, you'll never stop working in music at least. I, maybe in other things too, but it's just what I know. Yeah, makes you know. A lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole essence of professionalism is like, be there, do your thing, be great, you know, and then, yeah, yeah. and be reliable and do it reliably, you know? Yeah. yeah. Hired gun, hired gun stuff, I think is, is interesting. You know, I, and I, I've talked about this in the past where I think, you know, for me, it would have been, I would love to see the hired gun studio guy come back. And I know that's just not a possibility anymore, you know, but like that, that, that for me was always fascinating. Like the Steve mm -hmm. Lukather's of the world. Yeah. Man, damn. That, those were gigs, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're out there, man. I, I do probably half of my, half of my income is doing session work. So yeah, it still happens and I, I'm able to do it luckily from home most of the time. Right. But uh, I, I kind of tapped into that whole Nashville world 
and um, we are our rehearsal facility and storage is down there. So you just got to make friends from spending all the time in Nashville and down there, man, it's just, it is nothing but music, nothing but sessions, nothing but gigs. You, you're surrounded by music 24 hours a day down there. Yeah. So it's still, like I say, half my income, but it's still relatively new for me. Like it's completely uncharted territory only because I spent so many years on the road. Yeah. If you want me asking a question like this, I always found this kind of fascinating too. Like, um, so you're based in Philly. Is that mm-hmm. like, is yeah. like, okay. Yeah. So what was the decision to kind of stay localized in that, that sort of that hometown? You know, when, you know, like back in the eighties, we were saying, if you, you know, if you want to be a famous musician, you had to go to LA, you had to go to New York. Do you find it more advantageous to kind of stay where you are rather than going to like the major places or Nashville and doing the work? Yeah. Well, I mean, just even coming to Philly from, you know, when, I moved down here. I was still 17. Uh, it was really to go to school down here, but Philly always has had a really great history and rich history in, in rock and roll. Um, so there was always cool venues down here to play. I met amazing musicians and even musicians. Some guys I know that were in LA paled in comparison to the guys that I met in Philly, you know, oh, I mean? wow. yeah. world, world-class players here. Okay. And, um, yeah, I just ended up staying here, and obviously, you know, I, I met my wife uh, right. in college, right. so, and she's from South Jersey, just over the bridge from, from downtown, so that, that kind of kept me here as well. If it wasn't for her, I probably would have been in, in Los Angeles. So, probably, so, so we're, 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 you think we're in a <laughs> musical environment industry today where literally you can stay in a localized area and still kind of, you know, through technology, through, um, through the networking, through travel, you could still get to the same level of, of, you know, gigs and national acts. Like, does it have to be the, the city living in New York, living in LA anymore? I've heard that that has drastically changed, you know, and, and always shifts too, right. You know, well, you said, Brian, that you do a lot of work out of your, out of your place as well, right? Yeah, that's and that's just because of technology. Like before, if you weren't in LA or weren't in Nashville, you weren't getting gigs. Right. Uh, it's session gigs, I should say. But um, yeah, it's the same thing. I do a lot of remote stuff. I work either out of here or uh, my buddy Paul who lives right around the corner from me. He plays guitar for Get the Let Out at uh, the Zeppelin tribute. Oh yeah. So he has his studio is just loaded with vintage guitars and amps. So I work out of that studio a lot only because I have so much. It's like a candy store for, for us. And, you know, so just a, any year Marshall, you could imagine. And he's like rain man. So he's able to fix all this stuff as well. And I've uh, just a ton of guitars over there. So I work out of his studio quite a bit, but yeah, just sat doing a lot of satellite stuff. I've at least built up a reputation with producers that they, they trust, me and we, we could do a session like this like a skype session where they're in the studio it's like hey man and we and you know where i'm sending them my takes in real time right but they've at least i built up enough trust with them that i'm gonna get the, the job done for them and if i don't then they just move on to another guy it's just that's what the session world is you know yeah. you can't get can't get butthurt over that stuff yeah. you know, i just give them a pile of tracks and use whatever you need cut it up whatever you know yeah, yeah it's really weird i remember um 2003, 2004, Aaron and I were talking about the little demo thing I had to cut. And I remember I was teaching a student who had a, his uncle was a record producer in LA. And he's like, well, yeah. And I sent him the demo and he's like, yeah, I love what you're doing. Come out. 
Yeah. And I said, okay, remember this? And I said, yep. yeah. I said, well, yeah, I, I have to get my stuff in order you know, and I'll, I'll get back in touch. And I called him three weeks later, three weeks, Brian, right? And he was not interested anymore. He's like, yeah, that was three weeks ago. I'm, I'm over it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. You know, that was a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, you, it's hard keeping their attention for sure. Yeah. That that's, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine about, you know, being a new band coming out now and there, obviously there's like with the technology, there's so like the, the, the pool is just so massive because you never realized how many bands were actually out there because you're just in your, in your like little microcosm of your scene for your band, you know? And then there's just, there's so many opportunities on that end of it, but it's just because of the technology and any band anywhere could come out and, and do do anything now. It's it's way, way harder to get noticed. That's why I really don't think anybody's getting signed yeah. other than, you know, I, I guess, you know, the digital downloading everything, but that's that's a whole different episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. the market is oversaturated right now. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I'd be, I'm glad that I came up when I did. <laughs> We're like at the tail end of record companies and A&R guys and still... You know, you didn't have to be Adele to sell a million records. Right. And they don't sell the way they used to. I mean, gosh. And even, okay, so now that you get on a record label, um, what, they're going to give you, and this is on a good day, eight to $10,000 for a for an album, <laughs> you know? Whereas it used to be, you know, you'd go for 100, 100 grand, 150 grand for an album, even more. Yeah, yep. Now but you're lucky to get in advance. Yeah, now they're just like, we'll give you distribution. Right, right. <laughs> it's a period, the end. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's completely, it's a completely different thing nowadays. Aaron, did you have to deal with, have you dealt with labels? Uh, not directly. Uh, no, but I, I, I'm well versed in all of this. <laughs> it's re- I, I, I've always been interested in the, the whole spiel in terms of how our environment is changing as a music industry and what it was and what it is now uh it's just it's amazing what's happening and i'm just trying to figure out you know like you were talking about all the bands that are coming out today unless you've got some kind of viral hit or something's going on uh you're lucky you're lucky to get yourself known and and it's really hard like even touring like you kind of scratch your head sometimes going is is it is it worth it? I mean, obviously it's worth it because it's really the only way to get yourself out there. Right. Um, and live events are extremely uh, important now. I mean, they just are and always will be. Um, but the expense of going out on tour and what you get back from it, maybe from merch or something like that, you're sitting there going, wow, this is, this is rough. I was listening to an interview with uh, Misha from Periphery and he basically is like, I don't make any money on tour at all. The only money that I actually make is from my endorsements. That's where uh, I make all my money. That's see, I, it. Thought it, I thought it was more about the live gigs now. I really thought it was that when the tide moved away from a recording career. I thought it was really, you're making all, you know, all of your income really through the shows, you know? Mm. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, uh, the only thing I could speak to on that is, 
well, I never made any money really with the band. So Octane made good money, but we were more of a cover band. So right, right. That's um, what money is at. Cover a band. regional cover success thing, you know. But um, yeah, other than that, I, I don't know because I've just only done hired gun gigs. So I'll just I make what I make what I make. You know, it's like yeah, um, you know, whether there's five thousand or fifty thousand people, it doesn't change a penny for me. So, but you know, so I, some of these bands, I mean. There's money out there. Somebody's making it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Somebody's yeah. making it. Yeah. The big box, you know. But again, it's going back to the to- the topic of today, it, it yeah, money is obviously a, a motivator, sure, but it all comes down to you as a musician and that drive, man. Like yeah, yeah money's nice, but that's honestly not why I do it. I, yeah. I I do it because man, I love just plucking six strings and making sound. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, man, when I mentioned it earlier, I'm not lying or trying to be be modest or anything. I really don't even think about it. It's just I just did it. You know, what I, mean? I was like, oh, all right, it just pulled me that way. Yeah, you know? I, it, it wasn't anything that I was like, oh man, I have this master plan. And if you have a master plan, it's going out the window no matter what. Especially Black <laughs> that's ready. <laughs> That was my car gig yesterday. I had a master plan. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and uh, something I want to kind of go to too. Like uh, we talked about Randy earlier. You know, I remember I love the stories of Randy Rhodes when he was with Ozzy and touring. Mm-hmm. He would always, right, Brian. He would like try to study on the road. He would try to take teachers and classical guys. And he was always reinventing his style. Yeah. Um, you think it's tougher to do that now? Like in the in sort of the, the, the professional playing world of always, I mean, like, do you like in all the gigs you're doing, do you, you get a sense of, do I get time to sit down and reevaluate my playing? You know, yeah. you, I took a page right out, of, right out of his book, man. I I catch up with guys in different cities all the time and just sit and, uh, and talk with them either about guitar or we'll sit and jam uh, the guys in other bands that we tour with. I'll invite them up on the bus and we'll, we'll just jam out in the back lounge of the bus for a while. Like I'm, that's the one thing with the per with the whole topic of this show. The one thing that I could definitely say is I was always a sponge and made sure I surrounded myself with guys that were far, far better than me or that I could learn from, you know what I mean? I was never, never had a chip on my shoulder about playing or anything. Like I want to know like why I want to know why I can't do that. Oh yeah. 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 I, I will sit with this guy and wait, like, hey, what are you doing there? Even our other guitar player Island, He's an amazing player, and we're just we're from just two different schools. He's very finesse and um, like more John Petrucci ish. Where and I'm not that, you know what I mean? But he does these exercises and all this stuff. I was like, oh, what are you doing there? And he was like, oh, just read out of the John Petrucci book. And now that's a warm up that I've incorporated in the mind before I play. You know what I mean? So it's I'm always looking to learn to learn something. In fact, I'm getting together with the. Uh, a guy uh, who's a neighbor of mine, who's an outstanding pedal steel player. And it was just, oh, wow. I learned how to play pedal steel. But it was, I just, I want to drive the helicopter, man. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Trying right. To figure that out. You know? So it's funny you mentioned, I, I, I saw something with you and uh, I don't know where this was. Uh, one of the NAM show uh, NAM shows. I know you have to go to NAM once in a while uh, yeah. where you were test, test driving a slide. Do you remember, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a, like a little video of you playing in the slide work, and it was like some kind of like tiny slide. I remember it was, or like a ring slide, or yeah, and like. And it was like, so, oh, I forget what product it was, and you were like making comment like how weird it felt to move through it. Well, anyway, the reason I'm bringing it up is because like you know, I I haven't 
I hadn't talked to you in, in a while, and I was wa- watching that video. I'm like, I'm like, damn, he's he's really good at slide work. Mm. Like, where did he pick that up? You know, because I've never been a slide player, right. and and that's something like, yeah, I was just curious because like I know for me that's the thing we've talked about in previous episodes. Always trying to find new sounds, new things, new techniques that we. I know are out there, yeah. but have no no kind of uh, connection with in any way. I don't even. Yeah, I don't know where it came from either, man. But I'll tell you what: slide guitar. I was like a fish to water with it. Yeah, really. It was. Oh, it, was okay. it just. It came to me. It, I, I I got it quick, and I got to spend um, a very limited amount of time with Warren Haynes uh, back in like '96. Awesome. And he. Uh, uh, we spent, uh, we, I ended up hanging out with him a couple different times and he just sat me down. He was like, he said, learn how to play it in standard tuning because that's the hardest. He said, the open tunings, all you do is transpose to strings in your head and right. the open tunings are all, you know, vertical yeah. on it. But he said, learn it in standard tuning. That's the hardest way to learn it. And then everything else will fall into place. <laughs> so that's what I did. Oh, and then he told me, he was like, just, cop licks from guys that you dig and then i was like well what did you listen to so he told me a few of the guys that he listened to and from those guys that he listened to i've kind of found my own like guys that i really that resonated with me as far as slide playing went so that that was really about it and he just showed me he was like you do this with your left hand and you do this with your right hand and slide playing is actually more right hand than it is left it's all the muting yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, I was able to uh, was able to incorporate the uh, all the everything I learned with classical guitar because I don't I don't play with a pick when I play slide. So the PIMA, yeah, <laughs> all right. that, getting proficient with that with classical guitar, I I just walked right into slide and then I did exactly what he told me to do. How much guys you dig? And how the, much of the the majority of the session work I do is for slide guitar and for B bender. No, oh. I do very 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 few metal and rock stuff. That's, for, a, that's for Nashville. Well, just for whoever. Yeah. I mean, cause there's not, I actually kind of got a, a, a stranglehold on the market in Philadelphia cause there's not a whole ton right. of slide players coming out of. Awesome. <laughs> you know? I can't do it, man. Aaron, if you play slide, I never even asked you. I mean, for years. Been no, I tried. I, I, I can't say that I, I've found that within my playing. I've always been more of a rock kind of guy <laughs> well i just mean technically yeah. i can no, no, no. it's yeah. hard to yeah you know. it is hard it's hard to control right. and try to get it to us yeah. to sing the right way right exactly exactly yeah. you know i was going to ask you like because i know uh, i had a lesson a few days ago where a student asked me about slide work and mm-hmm. we talked about left hand muting um do you find yourself doing any kind of left hand mute control things because i know when i played a few times with slide work on my i use usually like my fourth finger uh i'd always like use my my back three um, to do dampening of the strings like you're mentioning right hand dampening i never even thought about that but do you find that left hand plays a role in in sliding as well so yeah it just it, it just really depends like what one of the things haynes told me he um he said to get to play more like Dwayne and and kind of hit um and warren style um you, you mute behind the slide so if you have the it's so funny i have one in my pocket but say, all right, so you have there the it is right there, guys. See <laughs> <laughs> what I just did? This is important. <laughs> I always have it with me. So what, you do, um, what I do with these, so I have to slide here, right? And then you're on the fretboard. Yeah, you always, to play, to play the tighter stuff, you mute. I use my ring finger. So you always mute behind it. 
behind right. the song. Right. So that uh, and that that'll dampen the strings. Now, if you take that that mute off, like if you take those fingers away from the slide, that's more like the like the Elmore James stuff. Like if you listen to like Dust My Broom. Oh yeah, really slinky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Screechy, slinky, yeah, kind of yeah. tones. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, the dampening behind the slide just um it eliminates these overtones and you'll hear it. Like if you just hit one note when you're over to fret wire, uh, and without these fingers your your fingers behind it dampening, you'll hear it there's like these nasty overtones and it sounds really, really out of control. Well, you'll you'll hear that a lot. I don't know if it was if it was done on purpose or not, but uh, Page did it in um, uh, "What Is and What Should Never Be." He he, I think he he's using a, a metal slide as well, which that yeah. is kind of noisier the way it is, right? But and he's not dampening behind the strings, and you can hear all those weird overtones that yeah. got which the, still know, sounds like, cool, man. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's rad. Yeah, yeah. It's Page, it's not gonna not be cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've only ever done what actually I have a retired guy that I'm teaching right now and he's he wanted to do a little bit of slide and we did uh, the Stone Temple Pilots tune. What is it? Uh, oh, Big Empty? Uh, no, Interstate Love Song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, funny enough, right. funny enough, the song we're doing right now. <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> the song we're doing right now is far behind. <laughs> Is it really? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and literally, he brought it up. He's like, I want to do far behind. So I'm like, Okay, <laughs> funny you should say that. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> yeah, say, yeah Pete, uh, Pete did some great guitar work, man. I, I love that guy's style. Um, just what he did on the first record, well, on all the records, he uh, do one thing too, man. Diving into a guy, like a, a guy's style like that, yeah, like we're you know, I spent a lot of time learning Slash and learning Randy Rhodes. You know, I never, I always liked Candlebox and I love Pete's playing. And before I got the gig, like I'd learned like far behind or you or change or something, but just diving into somebody's style when you're really learning it. Cause I, I try to stay as, as close to what he did on the records as possible. Right. Um, for, for the solos, like the a far behind solo or the change solo or the use. solo, it's like, I can't go off on a tangent, man. You know, like the, to me, the music deserves that respect because of the work that he did. And it was that good. Yeah. You know? Um, so, uh, but yeah, the stuff that he did on Far Behind, man, I love that. Um, and uh, Kevin always tells the story when he does interviews. But what's funny enough is Far Behind A, that's the demo that's on the album. That's the, uh, they never re-recorded that in the when they got their big record deal with Maverick. That's their demo. Really? Uh, you and Far Behind, um, there might be one more on the record, but you and Far Behind are demos. That was from like when they did the stuff to to try to get signed before yeah, you use my first exposure to those guys <laughs> you yeah was that, that was a track and uh uh what was the other thing with far behind it was just in, in my head um yeah i well oh that that solo especially man so like, it's i i do that one as close to note for note as i as i can yeah, but, oh, yeah. Oh, oh i'm sorry i know what it was um the riff the main riff was actually the bass line uh, Barty Martin wrote that for bass. So that was actually supposed to be the bass line in the song. And Pete said, hey, man, do you care if I try that on, on guitar? So it became the guitar riff. And it's like one of the most iconic guitar riffs from the, from the 90s era. This yeah. was, a, was an actual bass line. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting, too. 
And the way he, way he did it, it was like really open. Like we talked on previous episodes about open voicings and things, you know, yeah. that open, is it on G, right? That open kind of G idea. Yeah. And yeah, just kind yeah. of cross the strings, kind of tasteful. Yeah. He does it in the, uh, in the 11th or 10th fret. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the fifth string. Yeah. That's where he starts it and slides up. Yeah. And you know, just the, the tone on that and everything, man, I just really appreciate his playing. That's awesome, man. That's, that's cool to hear that somebody had wanted to learn it. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought it was very cool. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah <laughs> students come up with the strangest stuff, man. It's great. It, it's, yeah. It's great. I love it. After all these years, it's kids still want to learn that stuff. Hey, man. Or even older. You said the guy, the guy who wanted to learn it was retired or it was yep. a, he's a retired. Young... He's retired. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important too that, you know, I think, because, you know, we're getting up there. <laughs> yeah. All right. You guys are young. I'll, I'll take, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we're, getting, we're getting up there. Um, but you know, it's like, you know, it's important that we see that, that generation of 15 year olds come up and it's like, man, I remember being you and all that kind of stuff, you know? And it's like, we have to, it's important. We kind of pass those things down to them, you know, because yeah. right. Yeah. No matter if the industry changes or not, doesn't matter. You know, it's got a, got a, raise the new generation of musicians well and like we were saying i i think the market is so oversaturated right now that 15 year olds they don't know what to listen to sure you can go on spotify or whatever and make a playlist and you'll start hearing some cool stuff but sometimes the classics that we were brought up with they may not get the chance to hear that stuff because they're not being directed towards that stuff. Not that they should or shouldn't be listening to it, but right. for me, for me, that's the foundation of rock and roll. It's important to understand where, you know, grunge was and how we came from grunge through the nineties and yeah. going into the two thousands and how that all changed, you know, Y2K and that whole thing that happened around the turn of the century. Yeah. And, and even going back further eighties and how it was, you know, hair metal. And before that it was, you know, this kind of eighties punk rock thing happened. And before that was disco. And before that was, I mean, there's just all this stuff that you, that for me and my students, I try to really push this this idea of, hey, let's take a look at this this decade and or let's split it in two and we'll look at the first half of that decade and what came out of that and we'll look yeah. at the second half of that decade and what came out of that. And then that kind of gets them going on this, wow, that's that's kind of cool. I didn't realize that that was happening in this time. Yeah, yeah. They get a well, better yeah, appreciation. Yeah. And that, that's what, when I was coming up, my brothers were in the, a lot of different kinds of music and my guitar teachers were in a bunch of different kinds of music. So it kept me staying in it with another thing to our topic, staying in it. I painted a real wide stroke with everything that I was into. I listened to everything. Like if, if it's good, it's good. That's pretty much where I'm at with it. Like, and right to, you know, genres that I'm not even really involved in or like guys that I've heard of, but if I hear it and I like it, I'll say, Oh, that's, yeah, I dig that. I could get on board with that. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you, you know, to what Tony was saying and Aaron, what you're saying as well is, um, it, it, about sharing the gift that you have too, and your love for it, that you, you try to turn other kids on to it where they're, they they'll paint a wide swath too. You know what I mean? Where they'll, they'll have an appreciation for, 
even even the disco stuff because there was some great stuff that the beat back then. You know, I think Kiss was doing some stuff in that era. Yeah, that was like, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we even throw in "I Was Made for Loving You" in between in front of one of our songs when we. Uh, awesome. When I, I played that live once. That was <laughs> that was an interesting gig. You know, something you told me. I remember Brian. Something you said when we were kids, um, which I always liked, and I think up and coming players need to kind of adopt is that because you know, I was always into the shred guys growing up. And mm-hmm. I remember he used to say something like, when I listen to guitarists, I listen to them from two angles. Remember he used to say this? Like one is as a player, and then I used to listen to some things as a band. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and you got to yeah. hear them from those two perspectives, you know? Yeah. And that's important, you know, to be able yeah. to not only just hear what you're doing, but how what you're doing is kind of like there, there are guitar bands and there are band bands. Yeah, you know, and how that kind of mix comes together, and just like you said, having that wide perspective of hearing things. Um, we yeah. talk about active listening a lot in uh, in the show, you know. So yeah, I think it's important. Um, yeah, oh yeah, especially too. in live performance. If you're not listening to the guys around you, you're done. That's it. It's a <laughs> may as well just pack up and go home. You know, like just having the the wherewithal with stage volume and not overplaying and weaving yourself in and out of the rhythm section like uh, yeah that's and that's just that just comes with mileage there's there's no other there's no way to teach that really other than having you know uh, telling the kids to be active listeners you know what i mean you you just got to get out there and do it and and make your mistakes early and get it figured out right yeah get hit on the head a little bit are you teaching at all you do any kind of like any kind of teaching yourself personally so yeah I, i actually just signed up um, and you guys may even want to check this out. I signed up for this app called Meat Hook, uh, M-E-E-T, Hook. And it's basically what we're doing here, but you do lessons and you fill out a schedule. And anybody that signs up for this app, um, uh, they, like they take a percentage or whatever, but you fill out a calendar and it shows to all the other app users uh, your availability in the calendar and you set like your hourly rate and they'll, People say, you you know, you put out a thing like, oh, I'm going to be on the Meat Hook app this day or check the calendar mm. and they'll sign up for it. And you can do any number of things on it. So I'll do, um, I have my first one coming up where I'm just going to do, uh, I uh, blocked out an hour. So it's going to be 20 minutes of just songwriting discussion. Wow. It's not even a guitar lesson. And mm. then there's another one that I'm going to do on uh, public relations and marketing because me and my wife own a PR company and we handle a lot of bands that's awesome so and i do a lot of the research work for her and a lot of soliciting when i'm when i'm on the road getting bands to join our roster you know uh-huh. so i'm going to do a whole uh hour on that but then yeah i'll do <laughs> excuse me i'll do the uh the guitar lessons as well like half hour guitar lessons but there's a lot of guys on it like anton fig and carmine apiece there's it's there's wow, a lot really? of that, like world-class guys that you you just look at their calendar it's like Oh, I feel like talking to Mike Inez from Allison Chains today. Boom. And then you just schedule the time. You pay the money. It's on your credit card. And you you have a one-on-one with Mike Inez. or mm, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty badass, dude. That's cool. Yeah, Thank you. you. Yes. yes. Thank you for that, Brian. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And my friend, uh, Anthony, he just, uh, he's the guy that started it. And he's the, he owns the, um, or runs the drum, co- it used to be the drum collective in New York City, where mm-hmm. they just get every world-class drummer in there to do, um, like, uh, master classes and stuff. So he, he basically just took this master class and made it an app. 
So he has a, a lot of like world-class players in, in there, but he's opened it up to bass and guitar and everything else. Now it's, it's not just drums, but it was a really good idea. And uh, he still does the master classes in New York. And um, my buddy, uh, Mike was working for him and helping him out with this app. And he was like, dude, you should sign up for this thing. These guys are, and it's, it's great money, good extra money for sure. You know, and you just set your own rate and they they take a, a piece of it at the end, but it's, just really interactive, and I mean, it puts you one on one with like, your heroes, basically. Yeah, as yeah, you talk, on my wall. I was like, oh, I'd love to meet him. <laughs> as you're talking, I'm, I'm orchestrating the next five years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, like, I have no idea. Like, I'm I'm gonna go upstairs now, honey. Um, I think I have a plan. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For five grand, I could hang out with Slash for thirty minutes. <laughs> I don't think it's that much, but yeah, but there are guys that are on there that are, you know, obviously like Vinny Colaiuta and there, there's some monster, monster guys on this app. And it's like, shit, I'd, I'd like to get in on his songwriting discussion or his drum discussion or, you know, yeah, that's very cool. You could do it for any of them. But yeah. Probably worth checking out or even you could become a host and do your lessons that way. Well, that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking it might be something. You know, yeah. Yep. Get, get involved there that way. So it's for cool. like, yeah, go ahead. No, it's it's new. So it's it, it 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 just launched a couple months ago. We're actually um, me and my wife's coming here doing the PR for it now. So just helping to get it out to the masses. He bought a bus, like a big tour bus, and wrapped it. So they're going doing like a whole city thing where he's connecting out with, with a bunch of our buddies that tour and guys that are on the app that he go. He's going to go city to city. It's pretty interesting. Cool concept. Very. Yeah. One of the things that Aaron and I get a lot um, when we talk about is from our students, we get, right, uh, Aaron, we get this kind of thing, like, especially the young ones will come up and Brian could probably, you know, uh, sort of parlay some of this knowledge here to the up and coming generation. Like, um, can you make it in the industry today? And if so, like, how do you do it? Oh, yeah, of course. I, 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 hey, man, well, you, where I measure success in the music industry and it took, when we were kids, it was like, I'll be a rock star of all these chicks and cars and houses. How I measure success in the industry. If you, if you're supporting yourself on music and even if it's part-time, if you're making money doing anything that has anything to do with music and rock and roll, you're, you're successful. Mm. That that's where I'm at with it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, you don't need to be famous or rich or anything. I've, the fact that I was able to just stay in, in rock and roll and guitar and music and make money doing it as a full-time job. And I haven't lost my house yet. <laughs> um, yeah. To me, that's you're successful in it. Well, I do. I have to do is really just keep that room. <laughs> the, rest of the rest of the house goes, just keep that room. <laughs> yeah. I could. Yeah. If I, if I jettison that wall, I could at least survive yeah. for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I, I really do, man. It's I'm not lying. It's uh, or, or being like, uh, uh, I like I mean, living about it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's the. Uh, I really do think that if you make any kind of money doing anything with music, you're successful at it. You know, because people come to you, they want to learn what what you know, like what Aaron knows, what Tony knows, what I know. Like that's. Make a couple bucks doing that, man. You're successful. And ultimately, there's nothing else. I mean, I can't imagine myself or you or Tony sitting in a cubicle. I mean, I just couldn't. Oh, I, I can't do it, man. I yeah. never. I'm just not wired that way. Like, I some people can do it and they make a great living at it. Mm -hmm. 
probably oh, power you know, making a, a, they make a lot more money than me in certain cases, but it, I really never gave a shit about the money to be honest with you. But when I actually got made it, uh, made money doing it, I was like, I could play my guitar and make some money. I, right. I was, I was all for it. You know? Yeah. I mean, at the end of it, it's really about, you know, doing what you love, yeah. you know, and, and doing it. And, and for, so, you know, again, like with my students, even, even in uh, my literature students, we talk about this, about how we measure success and it's got to be highly personal. It has to be, you know, we can't, mm-hmm. we can't, we can't, we can't have this large scale, uh, you know, success thing that everybody like one size fits all. Cause that, I think that was the danger of us when we were kids, Excuse me. Is that you know we had we thought that to be successful you had to be on MTV and I think it was part of what the culture was you know propagating with videos and when we were listening to Appetite for Destruction and those albums came out it's like yeah that's it that's it if we yeah. don't get there then we didn't make it you know right. and now it's like if you're not on Wikipedia you're nobody you know what I mean because <laughs> like that's that's the measure of success now <laughs> you know what I mean but but really I think if it's a matter if you could if you have a personal measure of that and if you're happy doing it then isn't that what it's about yeah, you you can't you can't um, measure your own your own thing against everybody else's. It's good if they motivate you though, because seeing right. Guns N' Roses on MTV, I was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, even that that long ago, I was like, that that's that's exactly what I want to do. As as far as just playing guitar for a living, you know, what I mean, then it was like, oh, that'd be cool if I got on MTV. But yeah, what, what, I guess that's the motivator. Like when when you're younger, you know, what I mean, you're you're a kid, man. You don't. We didn't know any better. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rent. What's that? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, right. sense, you know. So just here's play. a question in terms of motivation. Uh, have you ever found yourself in a spot throughout your life where you may be at your lowest and don't find that motivation? And if so, what did you? What do you do to try to get yourself pumped back up? Uh, yeah, that that happens a lot. It's it's not even just one time. Like that'll that'll happen when you just you feel uninspired. A, a lot of times, I probably the biggest cure for it for me was I'll go and see a concert. Mm-hmm. I'll go and see a, see a band, like whether it's a, a local one or not. But normally, if I could get out to see see like a bigger band and just be like, all right, this is, this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it happened to me, for, I don't know, maybe about eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm. uh, like before the, anything happened with Candlebox and whatnot. Um, just in a rut as far as uh, trying to come up with new material in a rut playing wise, like just trying to get better on guitar. And I went and saw ACDC and I was like, Oh my God. Oh, right. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> This is why I'm doing it, and it's like I just came out of there recharged and just went on a tear. After those that. guys, those guys will motivate you to build a house after you come out. Of that. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. You know what I mean? I saw them during the the what was that ball breaker tour? Yeah, it's like oh my god! You know, come on, they're just they're just great. You know, they have. They have yeah, I saw them on that Black Ice tour, and they just ripped my head off, and I left that concert just completely stoked. <laughs> for me, I think for me, it's not, it's on the angle of the listening part. Like I, I think I when I feel. Uh, sort of in the slump, which is a lot. I, you know, I tend to put records on, and I tend to listen to to new things, and like, and that 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 gets me going. You know, mm-hmm. like last week we talked about world music. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I think that's that's for me is is the motivator now for me is is is, is finding new things I don't know. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Aaron? 
Uh, same. Uh, I love going to live events, playing. I think for me, um, you know, when I when I'm feeling in a rut, like with guitar or writing or something like that, I will often go to a different instrument. Like I'll sit down to the drums for a good hour and just, go, yeah. and just kind of feel, you know, yeah. just get out out of my box and just kind of say, okay, let's just try something different. Let's just yeah. kind of push myself in a different way. And then, and then that'll usually spark some kind of creativity or some idea. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. I need to go to the other room and pick up the guitar. I've got, I've got something. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Do you, um, Tony, when you're writing, do you, uh, will you start with, with guitar or a different instrument? Like, will you, you pop over on something different? Like it's, it's been, yeah, it's been changing. Uh, you know, I, th- so for me, the writing thing is the, the focus of everything I do right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me probably 15 years, 20 years, no, 15 years to get to the realization that I think I was built more as a writer than a performer. And I've said this in past you know, episodes and things, and, and I'm great with that. The problem is writing is one of the most difficult things to do. Yeah. In some ways, you know, and I don't know much of the, of, I couldn't speak volumes like you could to performance, but I really think writing is a very lonely, difficult job. You even see, even Stephen King says that in, in literature, but in music, it's hard work. You guys know it's hard work to put stuff together and make it, make it kind of click and connect. Um, what I found is that I, there was a phase where I would go through writing from guitar angles first and come up with really good stuff. Now I'm finding that it's, it's to a point where if I write from, from a guitar perspective, I'm just, I'm just basically just, you know, spinning the wheel and hitting things that I've done years past. You know, I I really, I think I really need to have more of a, an eclectic sense of how to start the writing Genesis, that process, you know, and, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, like, like, a, like a more simple direct answer to this question is I write in my head now. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I write everything up here first and then I put it down. Something I learned a few years ago uh, from Paul Barsom about how to like how to audiate things quickly. Um, so when I write things now, like you see me like I have sketch pads everywhere and I'm like, I'm like I'm hearing certain phrases and I'm writing some things out. Um, I wrote a notation. I kind of like made this little notation system for myself where it's like it looks like um, what do they call a thing. That, uh, Morse code, you know, so I have like little dots and dashes that represent like, you know, quarter notes and, and different movements. And I just write little phrases in a notebook. And I think, what do I want that thing to be? Do right. I think that thing is more of like, uh, you know, a violin piece to hear something like that. Ultimately, it all comes out on the guitar at some point. You know right. what I mean? Um, and, I, and I find this thing too. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just better at guitar music, obviously. So when I sit down, I try to write computer stuff. You know, I remember this, uh, there was a point where I was writing some computer music for like, because I wanted to get into the game industry for right. composing, right? Um, I, was, I was doing it, but it, wasn't, it didn't have any kind of mojo behind it. Right. So it's, it's weird, you know, it's, it's a really kind of weird thing to, to write and think about how we start that writing process. You know? how, about, how about you, Brian? Do you primarily write on guitar all the time or? Uh, no, uh, it, it'll, it'll differ for me. Um, it, it'll, I'll just have something pop in my head and not, I'd say nine to eight times out of 10, I, I get a drum beat. I hear, I'll, I'll just have a drum beat in my head and yeah. tap it out. And then I kind of just start from there and I'll just put something on like a real rough sketch of it on a, on the, uh, on the DAW. And yeah. then 
I just start from there and then like, it'll kind of unfold itself. But there's been other times where I just can't, I had like a vocal melody for a chorus and mm. then the rest of the song just unfolded around it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I, if I'm going to write on guitar, the, the only thing that I really work out on the guitar is the, uh, like the actual chords. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Doing the harmonic structure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll really work the chords out and then kind of the, the riffs and the, like overdub stuff, all the accoutrement kind of mm. fleshes itself out as we go. Yeah. You know, and then um, I, I really, I won't touch solos until later on. And I kind of do the, uh, I do the Gilmore approach with solos where I'll, I'll lay three down just off the top of my head. Like every, every, every once in a while, it'll be something that I really work out. But most of the time I'll just, whatever the three are that come to my head, like I'll do it on this section of fretboard, that section of fretboard, and then do something completely different. Mm. And then I mix all three together. Like I'll, I'll piece them together, listen back to it and then work it out that way. Then record three of those, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like then that's, that's, that's how I end up coming up with the solos uh, for that stuff. But yeah, just the writing. I really do start with, with the beat, like more of a, a of a rhythm, Right. Uh, play thing before I go. Yeah, the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Darren, have you you've been doing a lot of a lot of written stuff lately too, right? I mean, so I mean, are you doing? Oh, I'm always playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as like your writing approaches, are you are you sort of do you have any particular um, angle that you start with? I mean, we've talked about this before too, but mm, is there anything? In, not necessarily. Of- my my writing style has always been like all over the place. Uh, only because I try to avoid that rut as much as possible. Uh, I know it's coming. So in order to avoid that, I'll just, it doesn't matter what it is. I'll try to, like I said, I'll go to the drums and just play the drums for an hour and I'll just see what that brings. I'll go to the piano and I'll sit down at the piano for an hour and see what that brings or, um, or, or sort of that collaborative thing like you were talking about. Right. Or I'll start, yeah, absolutely. I'll take an idea to a bunch of guys and say, hey, what can we make of this? And all of a sudden, it, can be, it becomes something much grander than I ever would have thought. Yeah. Uh, so my writing style, and, or I'm kind of working on an idea. Uh, maybe it's you know, a certain, I'm going to go into this playing... 1116. Here we go. This is my this is my idea. I'm going to play with this idea and how can I come up with something that's actually going to sound pretty decent in 1116, not just okay, this is just an exercise in 1116. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. I got to yeah. make it I got to make it musical, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. All right. So, yeah, yeah I, I will generally just try a bunch of things versus going down one route over and over and over again cuz I will like you had said before Tony, I'll end up recreating something that I've already done in the past. And that just, that's for me a killer. I mean, I yeah. just, I just don't enjoy that. I mean, people like to hear, I think you, when you have a style and a voice, I think people like to hear, um, you know, just reiterations of what you've already done because it's kind of like watching another episode of a show or something like that. Mm-hmm. But for me, that, I don't have an interest in that you know, writing wise. I, I always want every, the next thing to be fresh, not easy to do, but that's, that's what I, the angle I go at, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, I think Jerry Cantrell is a great uh, example of that, where yeah. the guy constantly is figuring out a way to reinvent the music he writes, but it still sounds like him. Him, right? right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Right. 
retain that signature. That's, that, I mean, that's it, man. That's, that's Valhalla right there is attaining that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that. And then as a guitar player, like when you, when you hear him, you, you know, it's Zach, when you hear it, you know, it's Steve I or Eric Clapton, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's yeah. the pinnacle of all that, you know? I, I think at the end of my playing career, if I could, whenever that is and whenever it is, um, if someone could sit there and say, I, I play a lick or hear a lick played back that I played and someone had said, that's something I know Skaltz is. Uh, that's that's Skaltz lick. That's what I want. Yeah, I, I haven't found it. I've, after 30-some years on the instrument, how about you guys? I've not found it. I've not found the signature sound yet. It's elusive. Yeah, you know, I, I spent so much time learning other people's shit right. <laughs> I didn't have a, a whole lot of time to to do that uh, you know other than you know octane and the, the records that that I made but yeah I, I spent just more time because and but that's the that's the uh the rub of, of a hired gun too is you're constantly learning other people's stuff so which I don't mind but yeah it it, it does take a little, a little bit of a longer route to find your own voice when you're constantly learning but that's, that's important though you have to yeah, have to I do learn a lot i'll tell you i'm doing a gig coming up um and i had to learn uh a couple steely day or three steely dan songs for this gig that's i'm doing with uh skunk baxter and really digging into the steely dan stuff is it's absolutely mind-bending i can't believe i couldn't believe how involved oh yeah stuff is and then like really because you know, I have it on the studio monitors, hearing what what Skunk did, it's like buried in the lower left speaker on the, of the rhythm. You know what I mean? It's not just like uh, reeling in the ears. I'm listening to the, to the shit that he has going on in the rhythm guitar, because obviously I'm not playing lead with that dude there, you know? So I'm listening to this stuff. I'm, it's mind-bending what, what these guys were doing. So that's, like, that was actually a huge motivation for writing. Like I, I got done learning that song, and I sat down and wrote a riff. Awesome. Yeah, right, right, right. It right. had nothing to do with reeling in the years, but it motivated me to. It's like oh, it's pretty cool riff, so I sat and recorded it. Just yeah. put in the, you know, put it in the vault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking with those guys not too long ago about how just complex, but at the same time, how tasty and yeah, oh, tasty and just uh, consumable. Oh, yeah, right. Like just it's you. You want to listen to it? Oh yeah. You want to press repeat? Oh yeah. That's, That's the trick. Yeah. One of my all-time favorites, Steely Dan. Walter Becker is just, uh, he's great. Donald Fagan, oh, so yeah. good. So yep. good. So it looks like we're coming to the end. Is, is there anything um, closing? Anything closing to to our our listeners? No, it was all good on my end, man. Maybe just uh, check out the website, BrianQuinnGuitar.com. We'll, we'll do. Are you guys coming out with any kind of new material? You guys release anything? Um, uh, through the Candlebox end or through any of the other projects you're doing? Any things you could be on the lookout for? Uh, yeah, well, Candlebox will be back in the studio. We're supposed to be in um, in two weeks, uh, but uh, I just got an email that that's 86 for now. So I, I think but before the new year, if we, um, we're waiting to find out if we're going down to South America again uh, in late November. So if we don't go down there, I have a feeling I'll be – out in Los Angeles writing with the guys because all, all my bandmates are out there. I'm the only one out here. So, um, yeah, we'll have, we'll have some new music coming up, hopefully for the new year. Wow, that's awesome. Exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't wait. That, that record that I, that last record that I made with them, that was the, the oddest uh, recording experience. I mean, we finished that whole record in two weeks. 
Are you talking about disappearing into airports? That one, yeah. yeah. Like we were doing pre-production uh, and uh, scratch tracking and writing all at once. Like that whole record was done in fourteen days. Wow, soup to nuts. So it'd be nice that like, so you plan on taking more breath on this next one and like. Um, well, I I actually wouldn't mind making another record like that because it was so stream of consciousness. It's like everything I've ever learned on guitar, forget it. And you just played from instinct, and it was killer. It's the only record I've ever made that I could actually listen to. Really? <laughs> wow, yeah. that's cool. That doesn't drive me nuts. That it, you know, like I spent months making it and this and that. It was, it, it was just the most liberating record I ever made, as far as um, guitar wise and writing wise. Because by the time I got a cohesive mix of that record back in, uh, I think we recorded it in September. And I didn't hear uh, like any kind of cohesive mixes of it until December-ish. Mm-hmm. I had to listen to it because I had no idea what I played. And it was great. So the engineer sent me a copy of the record with just with my parts and my overdubs like jacked up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I was listening to it. I was like, did, did, did I play that? <laughs> it was me. He was like, that's you, dude. We didn't overdub anything on you. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'd go back and like warn what I did, but that was just I was like, why why would I even do that? But that was that was the best part of making that record. I yeah, I do hope we make another record like that because it was it was a lot of fun. So I think it kind of gets to the heart of too, like what we have talked about in the past that we, we you all the study, all the years you put in, when you're forced in situations where you yeah. have to, you know, instinctually let it out, it's there. It's, yeah, it's you all just part of it. instinct part. and yeah. Kevin still says it's his, and he, he, I know he's not lying. He still says disappearing in airports is his favorite camera box record that he's ever done. I think partly, I think because of the way we did it because yeah, the process. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Brian Quinn. Thank Thanks. you so much for being here. Thanks, Great stuff. Good time, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hopefully we can do this again. You're welcome anytime. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Sure. I'd love to do it again. That was a blast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll sure. catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Thank, Thank you guys Brian. for having me. It was yeah. a blast, man. I it was, really, it was I don't get a chance to chat about all this stuff too yeah. often. Yeah. Yeah. It's our pleasure. Our, our gentlemen, we'll have a great week. Yeah. We'll be in touch soon. All right, fellas. All See right. ya. I'm trying to find my button. See, this is always awkward. Every time <laughs> trying, where the hell is my button? There it is. All right. Yeah, See you guys. Bye. Bye. Yeah. I'm just going to stop this. Like, like, my thankful pillow is the only thing I got to show for myself. <laughs> How was your party last night? How was your birthday celebration thing? Good, good. I kept the lid on it for the most part. It was all right. I wanted to make sure I was up and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for this. But yeah, kind of, yeah. You were kind of hoping it, like, you know, like the, all the audiences would see what it's like, you know, to have just coming off a thing, <laughs> you know, and doing a morning radio show. Yeah, have the audience see what it, what it looks like for a grown man to be throwing up on a podcast. <laughs> I didn't want to say it in so many words, but since you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. That was a good time, though, man. It's good. Good birthday. I got good friends. I'm very thankful. I'll tell you this quick story. And Brian knows because he called me when, on, on the back end of this yesterday. So I went yesterday to try to buy a car, okay, because my car is shot. I got to understand that my wife and 
my father-in-law who passed, <laughs> like the two of them are like master negotiators. So every time we go buy vehicles, they would literally walk into these places and they'd say, okay, how sharp is your pencil? Because we're going to be like negotiating these prices down. And they would spend like hours with these people mm, and yeah. get them to like where they wanted them. And then they would do this thing. They would say like, you know, we're, we're not going to do this. We're going to get up and go down to the place down the street. And they would like chase after them. Even my wife is really good at this. So yeah. yesterday I like, I said to Trace, I said, you know what? I got this today. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we go into this place and we do the same <laughs> we do the thing right and yeah. i'm sitting there doing my thing and get them where we want them and i said you know what i'm just i'm, I'm just not feeling it. i said come on trace let's go to the one down the street and the manager across me says thanks for coming in have a good day <laughs> and i feel like a jackass now because now i do i not have a new car but i look like a shithead in front of my wife and then you know what i do i stand up you know to give you the free complimentary coffees right i'm actually standing up and, and and taking the coffee cups and throwing them in the trash for him right. and clean, clean up his desk gary i'm like what the hell is wrong with me and then you went and then you went home with the family truckster <laughs> <laughs> the dave mustaine vocal exercise <laughs> 